return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. The next chapter in the continuing Star Wars saga. Why? 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 Fucking take me now, God. All right, what are we doing? (laughs) Hello. Welcome back to the Waffle Press Podcast. That was definitely an intro. (laughs) Welcome to our retrospective on the new Netflix series, Death Note. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Hello again. Welcome again. Back to our Star Wars retrospective with Matt Garingo. Say hi, Matt. Hi, everybody. I hope you enjoy the police state you're now living under. It's a little heavy. It's all good. Well, is it, though? Is it? <laughs> no, well, literally like 20 minutes before we start recording, there was a, there was a message that uh, North Korea might have launched another missile. Oh. Stay tuned for that. Wow, these, these episodes might be released posthumously. So, yeah. Well, one of us. Yeah, fucking... I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. R.I.P. me. Yeah, don't worry, I can take over. Okay, good. And, and spread the gospel of how much you hated Alien Covenant. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> but in you the know last what? moments you admitted to me the <laughs> truth you know what I, I would never hate what Return of the Jedi oh yeah 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 the, the, the original conclusion to the original Star Wars trilogy that has grown to kind of earn a mixed response I think in more recent years yeah than it had previously I know of people who didn't like it when it was released Oh, okay. Well, they can go fuck themselves. Okay. Um, there are definitely issues in Return of the Jedi. Rewatching it, I'm not like a hater of Return of the Jedi, but this time rewatching it, like with a much more attentive eye, it like the flaws were much more noticeable. Uh, they're definitely there with the flaws that we could definitely talk about because I, I definitely have a list of my own. Um, mm-hmm. I I've come to terms recently that it's probably my favorite of the Star Wars movies, at least to just like watch it's got like a nice swashbuckling adventure nature the emotional mm-hmm. stuff mostly hits in the finale like the third act i think is amazing with some some kavits like this whole movie i i would say that it's like oh i had an amazing time with kavits we could talk about what those issues are along with what really really works in the movie because i think much what more the fuck did you works. just say kavits kavits is that is that what it's pronounced I thought it was caveats. Caveats? What the fuck? We could, one of us is looking fucking insane right now. <laughs> I've ne- but I've never heard caveats. Caveats. Fuck, I think you're right. I was like, like it hit me. Like, I was sitting here like, <laughs> like, I totally zoned out after that. Sorry. But I was like, caveats? Um, caveats. I have some caveats as well. All right, finish up your love fest for Return of the Jedi before I start ripping it. Yeah, no, no, because there's I, I there are plenty of things, specifically in regards to the pacing that I uh, yeah I have major issues with. Is it yeah. also the shortest of the original three? It might be. Yeah, um, it's still too long. It, it doesn't feel it. No, yeah, it's still too long. And it's the fucking shortest. This is like mm. hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, no, I, I really love Return of the Jedi, and I, I, I would never ignore the glaring issues that it has. Yeah. Yeah. But before we, we go into the movie itself, Matt, you mm-hmm. do a great job of taking us on a journey into the production histories of all these retrospective movies. So why don't you go ahead and do that right now? Okay, like an hour beforehand, I quickly scribbled out all the details I remembered. <laughs> the production of Empire Strikes Back fucking broke George Lucas. He gives a long interview with Starlog like a year after the release of Empire, in which he's like like noticeably exhausted, really bitter about the state of Star Wars and the film business in general. He's like criticizing like the tabloids and the fans and the movie industry and film critics. He's he's simultaneously p- criticizing people for not giving him enough credit for Star Wars and criticizing people for overthinking Star Wars. Um he was not he was not a happy guy <laughs> following Empire. Not just because Empire did not make as much money as he wanted it to. And he didn't even get all of the profits of Empire because the budget of Empire doubling forced him to make a deal with 20th Century Fox where they got more of the profits to take care of, you know, the Lucasfilm payroll. And so Lucas kind of lost money on Empire. And in the meantime, he was executive producer on Indiana Jones, which made more money than Empire. Raiders of the Lost Ark made more money, and Lucas barely had to do anything for the film. He had the idea, then he had two other people write the script, and then he showed up on set when he wanted to, and Spielberg did all the work. Yay. Um, yeah, hey. And at this time, around this time, he's getting like really cynical about blockbusters. He's like, people don't want to go to movies to think. They just want to see like explosions and you know special effects and stuff. He's really not doing good. <laughs> post-Empire. Um, he'd also adopted a daughter, so that became a big part of his life, and his marriage was kind of teetering. He was forced to fire the CEO of Lucasfilm, because the guy kept wanting to expand the business, and Lucas felt that the business was getting too big, and then the guy said Lucas should stop dumping money in the Skywalker Ranch, which Lucas's main idea for the... He wanted to make these Star Wars movies as a way to fund other smaller projects and he was going to use skywalker ranch as like a gathering place for like his friends like coppola spielberg um john milius and he would fund their movies with the star wars profits at skywalker ranch but empire was such a disaster of a production he basically had to be there every day and he realized that return of the jedi was probably going to require the same thing from him so he wasn't going to be able to produce a bunch of small movies while he was still making Star Wars movies. Gary Kurtz, the producer of the first two Star Wars movies, um, left right before the release of Empire. He has said in interviews that Jedi was supposed to have a much darker ending in which Han Solo died, uh, Luke leaves because he realizes he has to go out on his own to finish his quest to become a Jedi, and Leia is kind of left alone to deal with, like, conflicting factions of the Rebel Alliance. And this was going to lead into a sequel where we would have met Luke's sister. There's some disputes to this. I I don't think... There's no existing script 
that hints at these details. The very first script for Jedi, which was written by Lucas all by himself, um, had stuff like the second Death Star, had the Ewoks, which we'll get into the Ewoks. He, st- he wrote Ford, um, he wrote uh, Han Solo into it, but they still weren't sure if Harrison Ford was going to return. He seemed to come up with by the end of the script that Leia was going to be Luke's sister. There was also like, he, there's the second Death Star in the script, but there was also this talk of maybe doing two Death Stars, um, which is, sounds about as lame as you could possibly get. But one thing, let's talk about the Ewoks real quick. A controversial element of Return of the Jedi. Would you say it's the most controversial? Probably. Um, not just among fans. Apparently a lot of crew members really hated the Ewoks. <laughs> Um, there's rumors that Ralph McQuarrie, concept artist behind a lot of Star Wars, um, refused to draw any Ewoks because he hated them so much. But I have found Ralph McQuarrie art that features Ewoks, so I don't know. It seems like bullshit. Uh, I think I know some of the art you're talking about because mm-hmm. they're very similar designs used for the Star Wars Holiday Special. Like the little yes. Ewok cuts in the tree. Like that's just the mm-hmm. Chewbacca house from the Holiday Special. Yeah, <laughs> purpose for this, uh, and there's like uh, this really. I like this. Uh, obviously, Ralph McQuarrie is like a fucking brilliant artist. Mm. But there's one like where the the Ewoks are kind of like facing this monster that's kind of looking over their huts, mm-hmm. and it's like a really cool like fantasy image. Yeah, I had no idea he hated them. Um, that's just a. It's one of those rumors. I'm not sure how accurate it is. Uh. But one thing about the Ewoks is this is an image. Um, Lucas is really preoccupied with this image of a primitive culture fighting an advanced culture. Um, the original scripts of Star Wars ended with uh, Wookiees you know, coming together to destroy the Death Star using primitive technology. Um, this got changed, of course, on the way to the film, um, probably because it was just considered too much. You see... Um, he had the idea of bookending Star Wars with a Wookiee parent opening a book to read to their child, uh, which we see echoes of that in the holiday special. <laughs> um, and he seems to have finally gotten his wish with the Ewoks in Jedi. And then, just to jump ahead a little, when we get to the prequels, he manages to shove this primitive culture versus mechanized culture into all three of the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> It's just an image he really likes. I mean, it's all over, like, the Clone Wars cartoon. It's just something he's really into. Yeah. Um, and and it, I think so, it does make for, like, uh, interesting stakes, you know? And just visually, like, what that brings to the table. It's not just lasers shooting back at lasers. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting idea. It's just one thing to pick up with Lucas is what ideas he repeats. He's really <laughs> interested in certain ideas. And the prequels are like all his ideas constantly over and over again. Because <laughs> it's, like, um, it's like poetry. It rhymes. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah. It's stylistically designed to be that way, but we can diminish the effects of it. <laughs> uh, Lucas's first choice to direct uh, Jedi was Steven Spielberg. Uh, but some people say it was because Lucas had dropped out of the Director's Guild between Empire and Jedi that Spielberg couldn't do it, but it was probably more likely that Spielberg was just busy with E.T. at the time. Spielberg was working on both E.T. and Poltergeist. 
E.T. and Poltergeist originally started as the same film project. Oh, whoa. I didn't know that. Spielberg wanted to do a horror film, and it was going to involve tiny aliens attacking like a suburban house. But as time went on, he decided, I'll do a horror film and an alien film completely separately, and the alien will be a friendly alien, and then I'll take all the horror stuff and make a haunted house movie. Um, look up the movie Night Skies. Like, there's all this production detail behind like this never-made Spielberg film. So after Spielberg couldn't do it, the obvious choice uh, was for George Lucas was up-and-coming director David Lynch. Woo! Who had just done The Elephant Man and Eraserhead. Uh, so, and Spielberg, I guess, was, I mean, not Spielberg, Lucas was a big fan. I suggest looking up the interview with uh, David Lynch where he talks about not wanting to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he would go on, Lynch would, of course, go on to direct Dune, which would be a huge disaster. Um, David Cronenberg was also considered at one point. After basically not getting any of the directors he wanted, he got uh, director Richard Marquand, um, probably best known for directing uh, the thriller Eye of the Needle, which is an okay movie. Um, and it seems like Lucas wanted a director who would listen to him. Because if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on uh, Jedi... You see a director who's more taking orders than making decisions in Richard Marquand. I don't mean to shit talk the guy. He died like only four years after Jedi. He doesn't come across as like a, you know, brilliant artist um, or like, you know, a uh, very character driven director like Irvin Kirshner was on Empire. Um, he just seems kind of like a yes man. In fact, he would get basically booted off the project during post production and Lucas would completely take over. I mean, that's kind of the thing about Jedi. I want to go back to talking about how much I loved all the potential directors, uh, mm. specifically Spielberg, because in recent years he would mention, he had mentioned that, like, no, he doesn't, he doesn't think he'll ever do a Star Wars. It's not his genre. To which I say, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> he is so perfectly suited for this franchise. Like, he's never going to do it now, basically, but. I just can't imagine his thinking process behind it other than, like, he wants to do other things, but... If I were to pick uh, a guy to do Jedi, I would have picked Spielberg. Yeah. Lynch would have been interesting, but mm -hmm. I, I kind of can't help but wonder if maybe a Dune situation would have just happened with Return of the Jedi instead. Well, I think Dune... The problem with Dune is much more Dino De Laurentiis who produced that. Um, who was kind of a terrible producer <laughs> um he like almost drove john milius to suicide trying to direct conan the barbarian oh my god uh, um just look up look up any production dino de Laurentiis has been involved in and he was very much trying to ape the success of star wars because he immediately got the rights to flash gordon and made the completely bonkers 80s flash gordon and then he got Dune, which was like the other big sci-fi franchise. And took it away from Alejandro Jodorowsky and then made his shitty version of Dune. Um, and then he also tried to compete with Spielberg with Jaws, where he produced both the remake of King Kong and uh, the movie Orca the Killer Whale. <laughs> Dilo Di Dorentes is kind of a 
crazy producer. Um, he gave us Manhunter, though. Fuck yeah. But, yeah. Although, not, that's not really him. No, no. Uh, I think Near Dark as well, but then by then, they had gone bankrupt. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, a, that's a whole can of worms. Um, but anyways, to, uh, to Return of the Jedi, you really don't feel that... It, it doesn't have the, the staying power of the first two movies. It's not... It's not really trying anything different. It's a culmination of the trilogy uh, that, that George Lucas had established by that point, but it's not, it's not exactly breaking new ground like the other two were. What I always like to say about the series is, you know, the first one is like a throwback kind of cross-genre film, um, swashbuckling action-adventure film, sci-fi fantasy. And then the S- Empire is more of a character-driven epic sequel. And Return of the Jedi is trying to be both. And I think that leads to a lot of problems with how the story plays out. Because you can't really be both, as hard as you try. I don't know what the right direction was, but they tried to do, they tried to do both directions. <laughs> and that's always a mistake. Um, one thing I would like to point out is that Leia in... Lucas's version of the script was going to be the commander on the Endor mission. Um, but by the time they got to the shooting script, which was rewritten by uh, Lawrence Kasdan, um, who originally didn't want to do it, but then Lucas kind of bullied him into coming back. She gets the least to do out of anyone in this film. You know, I, I'm always kind of disappointed. Cause I even remember as a kid, you know, Leia shows up and like she, there's the surprise reveal that she's the bounty hunter at Jabba's palace. And that's like a really cool persona for her to take on. And it hints at like all this other shit she could be capable of. And then she's almost immediately thrown into the gold bikini. Yeah. And it's, it's really like that. That's one thing that really hasn't aged well. No, Uh, I I least she gets, she gets to kill Jabba the hut. Yeah. That's what I like. She kills him with the chains that he traps her in. Mm -hmm. But, uh, even still then, the fact that that position had to have, like, occurred. And the fact that she never gets back to her cool bounty hunter persona. Like, maybe she's learned a lot from Han. Like, she's used his skills in the time that he's been gone to, like, you know, do all sorts of shit. But no, no, she just kind of is a side character for the rest of the film. Back to the production a little bit. Um, Lucas allowed a guy named uh, Dale Pollock to interview Spielberg, I mean, uh, Lucas, during the production of Return of the Jedi. He got unprecedented access to Lucas and Lucasfilm. Uh, Pollock would go on to write the book Skywalking um, about George Lucas, and George Lucas would uh, disown the book, saying that it's full of slander and lies. And Lucas has never offered... um, that close an interviewer ever again. I believe Pollock got some really interesting quotes from Lucas during the production of this. Um, One is that, I'm the only one who has all the answers. And this is a reference to Lucas. He felt like he was in a position where everyone is turning to him, like whenever there's a little question about how does a spaceship work or what does this alien relate to. They all go to him for the answer like he has it, and he knows he doesn't, but he has to give one. And it kind of became, you know, Star Wars was kind of becoming a trap for him. 
Um, he mentions how he wished he had sold the franchise to Fox so he wouldn't be burdened with making these movies anymore. The most interesting one is the next trilogy will be someone else's vision. Lucas was uh, not a happy camper on the set of Jedi. Just to wrap things up, uh, it, Jedi took 66 less shooting days than Empire, um, which I'm sure pleased Lucas. Richard Marquand turned in a first cut, I believe, and then was kind of muscled off the project, and Lucas basically took over in post-production. He, he specifically took over the edit and the special effects. At one point, towards the end of production, he threw out a hundred special effects shots that didn't meet his satisfaction. Which means that 200 model spaceships ended up on the cutting room floor. Whoa. He was forced to reuse footage from the first Star Wars. Uh, you, can, you only see it briefly in the, uh, at the end when the Death Star is falling apart. There's all this footage of like soldiers running around hallways. That's all from the first Star Wars. He, uh, as, as a lot of people know, the story of how the original title was Revenge of the Jedi. And this, and it's, this isn't like something where, you know, we just kind of hear about it and then at some point it became Return. It was Revenge all the way up until the first trailer being released. But then Lucas decided to change it to Return, which forced like a recall on like hundreds of posters. And all the toys that were being manufactured already had the logo Revenge of the Jedi written on them, and all of those logos had to be replaced, which ended up costing uh, Kenner Toys a lot of money. Uh, and the and reason the, for him changing it, I don't know if it's true, but I feel like you do, mm -hmm. was that he did it to save money? or I don't believe so. Okay, or he legitimately believed that Jedis wouldn't use revenge. I just think it was just like, he, you know, he's just like, hey, I think Return works. Honestly, the way I read it is he said, I want it to be called Return. The producer said, no, that's a weak title. So then he goes, like, all right, we'll call it Revenge. And then because Lucas can never let a grudge go, <laughs> he's like, fuck it, it's Return. <laughs> just because just that's the type of guy he is. I don't even know if there's like a big thing behind it. it maybe, maybe he was enough to be like, a Jedi wouldn't take revenge. But also, there is no revenge getting in the film. So, I don't know. And there's no revenge getting, and there is a lot of talk of returning. So I don't think it was to save money because it cost money in the long run. The other big thing, and this is always kind of gross to talk about, in my opinion, but it's something that has to be talked about. Um, Lucas's marriage fell apart during the production. Some people say he adopted his daughter as a way to try and keep the marriage together, which just adds a whole layer of awkwardness to it. And... Some people think he allowed Dale Pollock onto the set of Return of the Jedi in an attempt to try and, like, win his wife back. Like, be like, hey, remember the good times that we are now revisiting? <laughs> um, that did not happen. And she left him for one of the designers of Skywalker Ranch. So Lucas was going to get his, you know, ranch but he'll be stuck with the memory knowing that one of the guys who helped build it had an affair with his wife. <laughs> so, yeah. So that happened. Oh, wow. And Marsha Lucas um, was the main editor on all three films. Um, so that it didn't help that he lost her in the midst of all this. George Lucas, I think, 
he went into Return of the Jedi as a very bitter and angry man, and he left Return of the Jedi as a really bitter and angry man who just wanted to put Star Wars behind him. And he, he even says in interviews that you can see a lot of this bitterness in Temple of Doom, where it's like super dark and violent and angry and belittling towards women. So that, all of that, is a brief glimpse. And I'm only like touching the surface. There's a, there, there's a lot of stories about Return of the Jedi and kind of the disaster it was, um, for, for Lucas at least. Um, I'm only touching on it. And that's, you know, a brief glimpse into what was going on behind this film. And that the movie is more driven by Lucas trying to end Star Wars than to actually make a good Star Wars movie. Not that he abandoned the idea of making a good Star Wars movie, but it wasn't his main goal. That's it. I mean, honestly, um, he was done. Because Star Wars went from this thing where he was like, I can keep... He wanted it to be like the Bond franchise, where he could keep turning out sequels. He's even said that. He would use the funds from those films to fund his other projects and kind of be like a mini Disney. Because, I mean, he was making so much money off the movies and the merchandising and everything else. Um, Could have probably afforded to do a lot of what he dreamt, but it became so time-consuming. And he noticed that when he didn't have... He's kind of a control freak, and he didn't have constant control over Empire, and Empire's cost ballooned. Even Empire, where he he was kind of on set every day for uh, Jedi. He's more dictating to Richard Marquand what to do than Richard Marquand kind of coming up with his own vision. And I think he was just sick of it. I think he was like, I'm done. And he gives all sorts of interviews where he's just really bitter about Star Wars and the filmmaking process. And also, you have to remember, at this time, you know, we're getting towards... This is basically right when... Between Empire and uh, Jedi is when New Hollywood officially died. Everyone kind of points to the film Heaven's Gate, directed by Michael Cimino, after the success of The Deer Hunter, was such a huge flop, uh, it took down an entire studio. And that was when all the corporations kind of came in and said, okay, we're going to take more control over these studios and we're going to make more blockbuster projects instead of, you know, director driven films, which had been what the seventies were about. And when I say director driven films, I mean, white male director driven films. I want to, I always like to emphasize that just because some people like, they really like get like masturbatory about the seventies, but we got to remember that it was very much a white boys club only. And Lucas was being blamed for the death of new Hollywood, Lucas and Spielberg. And you could argue how much of it is them, but that's, and I'm, I think Lucas didn't like being associated with that. Um, he went from being like one of the biggest voices of New Hollywood to being considered one of the killers of New Hollywood. Um, and, he, and people still associate it with him. I know he doesn't like that. So That's, that's yeah. too bad. Because, um, yeah, just hearing everything from uh, your side of the retrospective, it's clear that he wanted to like, influence uh filmmakers voices and like give them a chance to tell like create art that they want to create yeah uh, and star wars kind of maybe turned around on that mm-hmm. out of his control and, yeah it uh, got too big yeah. for him man and he has this pressure of i mean like he he really wanted to be able to hand star wars off to other people but he couldn't do it because of his like he has kind of a control freak nature and everyone is treating him like a god 
you have to remember, everyone's going to him like, Lucas, you came up with all this. This is all yours. You're brilliant. And everyone expects him to have an answer for everything. And in, you know, especially following this trilogy and leading up to the prequels, he does more to kind of enforce that myth that all of it is his. And it just isn't. And deep down, he kind of knows that. But one thing I should say, that despite all this bitterness and kind of cynicism behind the scenes, you don't really see it in the film Return of the Jedi. It is the like, least not... dark of the entire trilogy, I'd say. Yeah, I would, I would probably agree. Um, it's a really optimistic, kind of happy film, even with all the darker elements. It ends on a really big high note. And he didn't, I mean, like some people kind of say like the Ewoks are, you know, like a cynical toy kind of just shoved in this movie, which they kind of are. Lucas has said that he wanted a character that his daughter could play with, which I don't know why you don't just get her a Han Solo action figure because girls can play with boy toys as much as boys, but whatever. (laughs) Lucas has always been a little weird on gender politics. But yeah, but I don't see the cynicism kind of, you know, ruining this movie. The only thing that kind of damages it is the, the fact that he feels the need to wrap everything up, which is another problem that will affect the prequel trilogy. Yeah, where everything needs to connect. Yeah. And it makes the universe feel smaller. Yeah, I'm, that's the big thing about it. I'm going to save all my thoughts for the discussion, but I kind of was thinking like, you know, kind of revisiting all that stuff. It's like, I would cut almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't answer a single fucking question. <laughs> <laughs> with um, the prequels, but whatever. We'll get to that. Yeah, and uh, before we officially dive into the movie itself, uh, I know it's a common thing. Again, the Ewoks complaints, and I want to hear your thoughts on them too, where people say like, oh, it's a, uh, it's a, it's sort of a prequel in and of itself to the, the, the marketing tactics of like the prequels and like all the problems that those movies have. Because I don't think that <laughs> mm. I, I, at all. Um, maybe there might be some correlation, but it's not like, it's not a foreshadowing or anything for me. I don't think so either, because the weird thing we'll get into is that Star Wars as like a marketing toy behemoth kind of goes away in the late 80s and doesn't come back until the 90s. So like if Lucas had like this master sinister plan to make tons of Star Wars toys, he didn't go for it. He kind of just let it all fade away after Jedi. I use a little cynicism in there. And I'm not a giant fan of the Ewoks, but I think it's more because when I watched the movie, like in between getting out of Jabba's palace and Luke handing himself over to Vader, I think the whole movie really drags. And that's where the most Ewok action is, um, other than the big battle at the end, which I also have problems with, but we'll get to that. I'm just, I don't really care. It's not like a big sticking point with me. I don't see the Ewoks as being like the problem. I see other things that maybe resulted in the Ewoks being the problem. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, All right. I, I like the Ewoks a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my buddy Sean Fallon over at Audiences Everywhere pitched them to me as uh, the Viet Cong, or teddy bears that fight like the Viet Cong. Mm-hmm. And well, they're fucking, <laughs> well, they're fucking cannibals. Yeah. I mean, there's a real dark subtext of the Ewoks that's never really touched upon. To the point where even Lucasfilm was kind of downplayed violent Ewoks. I was reading an interview with Paul Dini because he, he wrote for the Clone Wars for a little bit. And he had a, an arc where he wanted there to be like a, a, 
Ewok, like, bounty hunter type character, like, kind of as a gag. <laughs> and Lucasfilm said no because Ewoks are cute. We don't want them to be violent. And it's so weird considering that they basically, like, are killing stormtroopers with, like, blunt weapons and bows and arrows. Fucking stabbing them to death. <laughs> and then playing, uh, uh, I mean, th- it, it's implied that it's just their helmets. At the end, <clears> they're playing as drums. But there's nothing to say that there aren't skulls in there. Like, they ate those bodies. <laughs> I, I can guarantee that happened. Well, they were going to eat Luke, Han, and yeah. Harry, So, oh my god, it was to- hilarious. It, it, it was totally, that's totally what happened. But it's just, it's just a weird thing where I don't think too many people were thinking about the implications of some of the Ewok stuff. Although, one thing, what the fuck? How can arrows penetrate Stormtrooper armor? I'm sorry, rewatching it and watching because these Ewoks have shitty bows and arrows. And these arrows are like 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 hitting stormtroopers and they're falling over dead. Like I don't that's that was a little much for me on this rewatch. I never really thought that before. But watching it this time I was like, oh what the fuck? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you now that the Star Wars spin-off I want to see is someone trapped on an Ewok planet and it's just like Night of the Living Dead, but Ewoks. Have fun with that, Diego. All right, maybe we should talk about the movie. Oh, yeah, we should, because I like it. And then have issues, because they need to be talked about. <laughs> so the One movie thing, has, has three openings. Oh, yeah, that's... Uh, I really hate the first opening. With the one Vader just arriving. Because uh, it was very clear. It's very clearly like, they, like hey, we're not going to see any Empire stuff for the next 30 minutes. So we got to throw something in right here. And it's just all exposition, and it's really flat. So yeah, I don't really care for the opening. It's, it's a little flat. I like the idea of showing it, even though it's just, you're, you're, you're right on the money. It's, it's just exposition. It's just like, okay, you need a little something to, to like hold over the audience uh, for the time being. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because Empire ends on, on the downer. It's the downer movie. And the Empire's won at the end of that movie for now. And so that kind of just like lulls you in. To like, oh yeah, that's right. They're, they're winning at the start of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wish it was shot better though, because this is the, the flattest of the entire trilogy. It's not, it's not exactly visually stimulating. until a, the har- a harbinger of things to come. <laughs> um, have you ever, uh, Brad Bird has always talked about how he would have opened Return of the Jedi. I've seen him talk about it in a lot of interviews. Oh, I've never heard that. Um, he would have opened it with Luke going back to see Yoda. And uh, he goes to Yoda like, you were right, I shouldn't have left, I got my ass kicked. I wasn't ready for that. And then Yoda goes, the fact that you know that now means your training is done. And I kind of like that. Because it makes a lot more sense than Yoda just going, ah, you're, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I like that more too. Um, again, not great. The problem is, the problem with this movie is it's trying to wrap everything up, you know? And, because uh, you can't wrap up every storyline that was at the end of Empire with the one less than two and a half hour long, two and a half hour long movie. I mean, this whole job of the Hut thing is really just a way to explain how they get Han back. Yeah. But it's honestly, a, it's a great, like, you know, kind of, like, 
heist sequence. It kind of has a little bit of a vibe like that, like a prison break. I like a lot of the Job of the Hutt stuff, even though when you go back and watch it, it's very clear they had no plan. Yeah. <laughs> even though they're all nodding to each other like they do have a plan. There's no reason why they couldn't have set up like a basic plan that they established like just for the audience even, but instead they just have people show up and they get captured. Someone else yeah. shows up and they get captured. Then Luke shows up and he gets captured and then he almost escapes. He defeats a giant monster. I like the Rancor a lot. But I think That's a great... Uh, no, honestly, I, the job of the Hut stuff's a ton of fun. And every character gets something to do in it, which we run into a problem later where a lot of characters don't have things to do. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, um, and Job of the Hut's just a really fun character. Um, he's like kind of he's like you know an embodiment of what I love about Star Wars is with weird aliens and monsters and shit, um, and just like you know all the weirdos in his palace like Max Rebo and uh, Sly Snoodles <laughs> and uh, the Rancor pit guard who cries. When the oh Rancor yeah, dies. that's that is so. Funny. That is my favorite moment. <laughs> I think maybe in all of Star Wars, that might be my favorite moment. <laughs> it's just so good. Like it, it that guy sells that moment. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, oh, it's great. Like he push well, just how he like pushes past everyone and then his buddy has to like come comfort him. Like, oh, it's great. Yeah, I think people forget um, how funny Star Wars can be. I think that's probably because there's absolutely no laughs to be found in the prequels. <laughs> um, and then you get to, you know, Force Awakens, which we will probably talk about how maybe there's a little too many jokes in The Force Awakens, but we'll get to that. Yeah, maybe, a couple, um, maybe a couple, but, um, yeah, the, the job of the Hut stuff, I, I adore. It's just, it's, it opens on such a fun, like, swashbuckling attitude. Um, I get really hyped whenever they go over the Rancor pit and, you know, the done. Yeah, done. The, the tuba. Done. Yeah, <laughs> they all nod at each other, but again, it's like they—they they like, why are we nodding, nodding at each other? <laughs> like, what did, did we know we were going to end up here? <laughs> and I guess that's the implication, but it's—it it doesn't come across that way. It really doesn't. Like, cause you know, like almost from the beginning, R two is put on the sail barge, but it's yeah. fine. I mean, that's a really fun scene. And that's the first scene where we get to see a lot of, you know, lightsaber action. Like, you know, in the previous two films, the lightsaber was used uh, to take down a Imperial Walker, uh, fight a Wampa, and in a duel. Um, and then Obi-Wan used it to, like, cut a guy's arm off at the bar. And then to fight <laughs> Vader. But this is the first time where it's like, you know, how much damage one guy with a lightsaber can do. And it's pretty fun. You also get, uh, there's a deleted scene right before... 3PO and R2 are going up to the castle where we see Luke building his new lightsaber um, with 3PO and R2 there. And then like 3PO's like, well, I don't understand this plan. Why are we going to the Jabba the Hutts? And then it just leads into that whole you know, image of them walking up to the giant gate. And also we got to talk about you know when Luke first appears in this film, he chokes out two Gamorrean guards with the force choke. And he's dressed in all black, which is kind of hinting at, oh, maybe he's, you know, waning on whether he's good or bad. Um, and then we basically just see him slaughter a bunch of dudes. <laughs> and we, But, like, the movie doesn't really dig deep into it enough, like, as deep as they probably should have with him, like, waning 
um, whether you should go to the light or dark side. That's that's kind of my problem with like Harry Potter too. Harry Potter is never like tempted to do anything evil. Oh, I'm so glad He's you just, brought that oh. up because I I was I swear to God I was gonna I have that in my notes. I was gonna mention that too. It's the exact mm-hmm. same problem. Yeah, they bring it up like oh like we kind of want to be tempted by the dark side or the, or evil, but uh, there's no like moment where they're tested until yeah. a big moment with the villain. But there's nothing leading up to it. And there's even like you know the mo- like everyone always points out that he wears all black, and then when he finally stops beating the shit out of Vader and steps back, his jacket is kind of open to reveal that it's been white underneath the whole time. So like they 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 obviously knew that that was an element, but they never really took advantage of it. Yeah, probably because there was no way to do that in one film. But uh, well, at least not whatever. One is, at least not one as packed as this. Yeah, not one where you're the first. 30 minutes of your movie are entirely devoted to a prison break um, in which Boba Fett has no lines and then dies. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So I love Boba Fett's death mm-hmm. a lot because we were talking about how he's like, oh, everyone perceives him like this huge badass. He's got this nice booming voice in the original cut of the movie. The, mm. the second voice is okay too. I, I like the actor, but um, you know, he's he's built up to be like this huge thing and Han Solo you know everyone kind of perceives him as cool too but he's really not he's kind of a dork mm. you know like he can be kind of suave but you know like tools will fall on his head and he'll scream such a perfect foil I think Boba Fett and Han Solo because Boba mm. Fett comes across just so stoic and like the perfect bounty hunter and there's Han Solo who can't get the Millennium Falcon to work half the time and so the fact that he beats him just like Boba Fett where mm. and then he in the back like i don't i think that's hilarious i i don't really have any strong opinions about boba fett other than i think he's like over like people kind of build him up a little too much i, I was never like the death a lot more too yeah i was never one of those kids who was like really into boba fett like i didn't even like the comics that were just about boba fett but that's just me i know a lot of people like him so i don't have any strong opinions on it it's it, it's just a little weird that he, there's clear, there was clearly a lot more meant to happen with this character, and then because of you know just how the production played out, it's like ah no, and I mean, and also we'll see a similar problem in the prequels, which is where it just gets even weirder. Well, here no, we uh, gets... we got to talk really quick about the lightsaber reveal because this is the first time <laughs> you see a green lightsaber. It's no longer blue, but I think that's kind of a a, a big moment that kind of gets brisked over a lot nowadays. Um, when I was a kid, I probably was like, wow, a lot more. But I, I don't really get lightsaber colors. Because <laughs> they're like, there's all this like weird shit in like the expanded universe and the old, like the, both the old and the new. I think even the new says that like the, the lightsaber users' emotions actually affect the color of their lightsaber. I'm more like, it's, so it just confuses me now. But as a kid, yeah, I thought it was cool when he saw a green lightsaber. I, I want to talk about the colors really quick because it doesn't make sense. And then, mm-hmm. okay, Sith have the red lightsabers, right? Well, no. Pres- Sith do not have the red lightsabers in the original incarnation. Uh, a lightsaber is very clearly stated in this film as a Jedi weapon. Darth Vader has a red lightsaber because he's a fallen Jedi, not because he's a Sith. The idea of Sith all having red lightsabers is entirely an expanded universe and prequel idea. Huh. 
the Emperor really shit talks the lightsaber. <laughs> I mean, he's like, take your Jedi weapon. You know? Mm-hmm. It's not like... And the Emperor doesn't have a lightsaber in this, thank God. Because <laughs> that would just look idiotic. Um, <laughs> is it still canon that it's kyber crystals in the lightsabers? I want to say yeah, because of Rebels and Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And I guess those are officially canon. Yeah. Um, Cannon's fucking weird. It's just, well, it's because kyber crystals have been, like, used for many different things. And they're now, like, a huge part of the universe ever since being featured in Rogue One. Yeah, I, I think so. as, as far as the EU is concerned, I think they're for more than just lightsabers, but for the the common core canon now, like, that's just the movies, Rebels, and Clone Wars, I think it's just for lightsabers. Okay. Or uh, powering the Death Star. I think that's what they were used for in Rogue One, right? Yeah, well, and I, I'm, I've been rewatching Clone Wars, and they, there was an episode where a kyber crystal had, like, all this important data stored on it. So, I don't fucking know. Uh, it gets way too complicated. It's people digging through Lucas's old notes and trying to use them. That's why Starkiller has, like, six different meanings in <laughs> the Star Wars universe. Back to the movie. Yes. After, after Jabba's swashbuckling adventure, the, the crew's officially back together. Han Solo thanks him. And then Luke fucks off back to Yoda. Is the implication that he hadn't seen Yoda since the end of Empire? Yeah, which doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't like that at all. I don't like it at all either. That's why you should have probably started with Luke already there. Uh-huh. I mean, you could have easily started with, like, you know, like Luke training, and we've shown that he's gotten really good. And then Yoda coming out being like, hey, Luke, I'm dying. So you got to go, like, now's the time to go. you got to carry on the Jedi. And you finally have to face your father, and then he dies. And that should have been the opening. But instead, he's like, hey, I haven't been back for a year. I'm here just so you can talk to me. So I can confirm that Vader is your father. Because believe it or not, a lot of people didn't actually believe that after Empire. A lot of people thought he was lying, including James Earl Jones. <laughs> um, and especially children. Um, Lucas did like a whole psychological like study because he was afraid that the reveal of Darth Vader being Luke's father was actually going to be too traumatizing for children. So he met with like all these child psychologists and they were all like, well, if the kid is young enough, they probably will think Darth Vader's lying. And if you actually watch, if you go look up videos of like kids reacting to I'm your father, a lot of the kids will go like, that's not true. Like he's lying. <laughs> because kids like they just can't believe it. So he needed, he needed this scene in the movie so Yoda could be like, yeah, he's definitely your father. And then also so uh, Ghost Ben Kenobi can come out, which now instead of just being like a figure that he can kind of see, you can have entire conversations with. Um, and Obi-Wan's got to tell, like, be like, all right, yeah, I lied. Um, I'm, a, I'm basically a scumbag. Um, let's hope there aren't prequels that somehow make my lying even worse. Uh, and, uh, then he's gotta, then there's gotta be the reveal that Leia is Luke's sister, which is the most tacked on thing ever. Um, but that's the big reveal in that moment. Another thing that no one was happy with, especially Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill thought it was dumb. Mark Hamill suggested that Boba Fett should have been revealed to be his mother. (laughs) 
Oh. In response, in response to the Leia reveal. So yeah, as some of you, I I don't know how much I mentioned it earlier, but uh, during the s- script writing process for uh, Empire, Lee Brackett, um, the first person to write the script, suggested that um, Luke should have a sister on the other side of the galaxy, a twin sister, and that was carried over into um, at the there's a moment in Empire where Luke is leaving Yoda. And Obi-Wan says, that boy's our last hope. And Yoda says, no, there is another. Which is like, you know, a mysterious reference. And that loose end had to be tied up. If this is going to be the last film. Because we can't fit in Sister on the other side of the galaxy. Lucas just went, ah, Leia is Luke's sister. And that has a lot of weird implications. Oh, yeah. Um, considering the kiss in both. A New Hope and Empire and in the book Splinter of the Mind's Eye where there's definitely a lot of romantic chemistry between Luke and Leia. Um, but that is no longer canon, so... Maybe for the best now. Good job, Disney. <laughs> um, it's so weird to think with all the changes Lucas makes to these films, he doesn't cut out that kiss in Empire. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I have, He's got a, I have no answer for that. The stuff that bothers him is weird. Because he always like edits like all this shit that no one cares about. Until you change it. Um, ah, whatever. So yeah, that's... Uh, you can actually... If you read one of the early drafts of The Return of the Jedi screenplay, you can actually see at, at the end where um, Lucas just writes, Sister question mark next to Leia. Like, so you can actually see the exact moment when Lucas came up with this idea. I don't know. I, I, I think it ends up working, but it is total bullshit that it was made up like on the fly, you know? I think it weakens Leia as a character. Because why was she not being trained at all in like Jedi arts? She was on Alderaan. <laughs> like there's a royal family. They probably had swordsmen shit like that. You probably could have gotten a teacher, like Arya got a teacher on Game of Thrones. There's a, she does use a lightsaber in Splinter of the Mind's Eye, if I remember correctly. Because um, Luke gets, like, knocked out, and then Leia uses it, but then I think she gets, like, almost killed by Vader. So, I'm, it's one of the things of the series that really bugs me. I think they've handled it better now that, like, um, like with Carrie Fisher being older. Um, rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. In the new movie, like I think, there's kind of like all these really subtle references to her force sensitivity that I like. But uh, yeah, for a long time it was always like this dangling thread that I did not care for. It is a huge missed opportunity in Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. I think there's a couple big ones, but that that one might be the one that sticks out the most. Mm-hmm. That is like I know a lot of people for a while were clamoring for like Han Solo to use a lightsaber after Empire. For that, like that little tidbit. Yeah. This is why fans shouldn't write movies. Like even when I'm giving suggestions here, they're probably terrible. <laughs> I yeah. mean, like I mean, when you're um, around friends and stuff, like it's fun to be like, oh, what if this happened? What if this happened? But it's not the same as actually like being in production. You know. Yeah. Like putting it's not a movie the same together. as like actually trying to make a movie. Yeah, that's it's a little bit more difficult than that. Mm. Two things I would like to point out real quick after uh, Job of the Hut and Yoda. Yes. Um, well, one thing um, before Yoda, 
Uh, there's a deleted scene where there's a sandstorm on Tatooine, and that's where Luke and Han and Leia part ways. Like Han and Leia get on the Falcon, and Luke gets in his X-wing. Um, and later, um, when Han Solo is giving Lando Calrissian the Millennium Falcon, uh, it's only the Millennium Falcon only appears as a matte painting. And from what I understand, I, I think the original Millennium Falcon set burned down between Empire and uh, Jedi. And they only rebuilt the cockpit. And they only had some old exteriors from A New Hope. That's why they... So they created the sandstorm scene so it could hide the fact that the Millennium Falcon set wasn't complete. Because um, Lucas didn't want to bother rebuilding the set since the Falcon wasn't going to be in the movie a ton. And they only rebuilt the cockpit and they actually reused the turret sets, but all those turret scenes were cut out. It's a little sad to think that, you know, we don't actually see the Millennium Falcon in this movie. Um, like, as a set. Because it's such a huge part of Empire. But whatever. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you spend half the movie in it, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like, crazy. But you're just in the cockpit in this version. But whatever. This also leads to a really weird moment for me where Han Solo is a general in the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Um, first of all, if he was a general, why the fuck didn't the Rebel Alliance help rescue him? You're like, hey, Jabba, just hand Hansel over, and we'll be good. Instead, it, it was like this weird, like, splinter cell mission had to take him out. Leia should be the general. Uh, in Empire, when they're on Hoth, Hansel is only referred to as a captain. And Luke is referred to as a commander, which I can understand that. It doesn't make sense to me that Han Solo would be a general. Leia would be the general. But I don't know why that was changed. I think it's a, I think it's because they couldn't find out why uh, Han would go on the mission to Endor. <laughs> like it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to go on that mission and not and be like, "Hey, Han, I know you maybe want to help on that mission, but you're the best pilot we have, so maybe you should stay around for the space battle." Yeah, um, and, and it's not like he contributes a lot on the ground, anyways. No, he's a fucking failure. <laughs> He fucking closes the game. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a weird little thing. It's just, it's, I mean, it's really, it doesn't matter, really, but I don't like that he's a general in it. No, I would um, say that it, that it does matter, because there's no, there's no jumping off point in between this and Empire. It's not like he got, like, ranked up while he was taking prisoner. I don't have a ton to say after, uh... That uh, we meet, you know, Mon Mothma, Crix uh, Maidine, and uh, Admiral Akbar. Oh yeah, I love our last conversation about Admiral Akbar. Mm. I don't know if you remember it, but you just called him out as a Republican. Oh yeah, um, he's a total like he criticizes everyone's plan and then offers nothing of his own. He's a fucking shitty. He's a shitty admiral. <laughs> it's a trap. The trap, and he calls for a retreat way too early. <laughs> he says, our ships can't repel fire power of that magnitude. <laughs> and then when Lando comes up with the idea to attack the Star Destroyers at point-blank range, he's like, well, that won't work. But <laughs> if you read the EU, that strategy is actually what turns the tide of the space battle. Because no one had ever tried that. That's some EU nonsense right there, but I like it. Yeah. 
the EU is ninety percent bullshit and like ten percent like, hey, that's pretty good. So uh, the sure. the uh, novelization of Return of the Jedi has one of my favorite EU moments that was ignored, which is that Owen Lars was Obi Wan's brother. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it's in the novelization of Return of the Jedi. I know I've read it somewhere. Um. And that's why the, he said he doesn't really like Obi-Wan and doesn't want Luke going off with Obi-Wan. And it adds this whole really cool dynamic where Obi-Wan was like the brother that left to go on an adventure and, and Lars was the one who stayed home and was like, hey, I stayed and I took care of the family farm and you went off on your bullshit adventures. And now you come back after all this with a kid and want my health? Fuck you. Oh my God, that's fucking great. I can't believe that... Oh my god, I love that so much. Yeah, it would have been amazing. But George Lucas fucked it up. Um, honestly, that's one of, like, that's... I don't get too, like, angry, but that's... I'm really bitter about that not being true. That's one It would have been just great. But because The Phantom Menace is a fucking dumpster fire of a screenplay. Because Lucas doesn't understand his own thing. Because it's not just his, but we'll get into that nonsense. After that meeting, though, they go to Endor, which, we, of, of course, it, we know it's a trap, but it's ridiculous that the Empire will let a ship through if they have an old code. Like, what, they don't change their passwords? It's like, hey, it's an old code, but it fits. Like, what the fuck? That, that's not a little suspicious, but of course it's a trap. Whatever. But Darth Vader doesn't know it's a trap. The Endor stuff, I really have nothing to say. Between like those moments, there's the really fun speeder bike chase, which I like. Oh yeah. But other than that, I don't I don't care for much of anything that happens on Endor before the battle, including C-3PO retelling the adventure to to a bunch of fucking stone Ewoks. <laughs> uh, no, I, I like that. It's a uh, it feels very mythical in a way that Star Wars should feel. I think, you know, it, it's it's basically like space future mythology. I guess, but it's just a little like, hey, I don't need this. I'm, I guess I'm just already a little annoyed with the Ewoks and the fact that the movie is really dragging by this point. The Emperor shows up. Just some things I noticed was that Vader is a little taken aback when the Emperor can sense that uh, he's a little apprehensive about uh, the like what's going on with the rebels. He's like, Hey, there's a fleet gathering. And he's like, don't worry. I sense your hesitation, my old friend. And Vader's like, Whoa, how can you sense that? And that's kind of a hint that, you know, the emperor can like see shit. And this is also where we get the hint that the emperor has seen the future. It's like, everything is proceeding as I foresee. And that was actually a big part of the script. The emperor foresaw that uh, Skywalker would destroy him. So he's like, I got to destroy Skywalker um, or turn Skywalker. But the thing was, it wasn't Luke Skywalker that destroyed him. It was Anakin Skywalker. That's why he didn't see it coming. I, I kind of like the idea that um, this third movie is just kind of like the middle portion of it is almost like a, a casual hangout movie. It's not what this movie needs at all. Mm -hmm. But I really like spending time with these characters. And even though it makes no sense for the original group from the original Star Wars to just like be on the same mission together, like just logistically and like as, as military strategists, I'm surprised they didn't all die because it, it just, how do you not have Han Solo up in space? 
I do not have yeah, Chewie was, up there with him. I Wiley. can't really enjoy the hangout nature of this when there's like such a looming threat. <laughs> like there's a lot, there's a lot going on in this buildup. Yeah, just I just think that whole middle part drags. But once uh, Luke hands himself over, it kind of kicks into high gear because we're we go to the Emperor pretty quickly. Although there's a moment I I gotta point out uh, where you know Vader and Luke are talking. And he's like, so you've accepted the truth. And he's like, I've accepted that you were once Anakin Skywalker. He's like, that name no longer means anything. And uh, Luke kind of goes like, gives a really impassioned speech about like, you're my father and I believe there's still good in you and all this shit. And Vader for like a moment, like kind of looks at Luke's new lightsaber. And there's like a, like you get this feeling that Vader's like actually thinking about quitting. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, what if that happened? What if Vader was like, fuck it, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And then Vader is like hanging out with Han and Leia (laughs) as they attack the Endor base. And he's like, he's like still got, he's still kind of got like the Vader stuff. So he's like, we will crush the base. And like, no, hey, take it down a little. (laughs) (laughs) Like, dad, reel it back. He's just like strangling stormtroopers left and right. Yeah, you know, like some of them are prisoners. (laughs) He's like, oh shit, sorry. It's like also, I don't want to like fill your head with too much, but Leia's also your sister. It's like, oh shit, (laughs) I tortured her. On the Death Star, I tortured her and then forced her to watch her planet die. Oh shit! I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Look, I got a lot to make up for, but I promise I'll do it. And like the final shot is just him, just like his helmet in his head, in his hands, just like oh my god, oh my yeah, god. Yes. The curb your enthusiasm music starts playing. So, yeah. Uh, So that's what I think in that brief moment, (laughs) that inquisitive moment from Vader. Um, You know what? Maybe some of the Emperor's foreshadowing, like his foresight, rubbed off on Vader, and he saw that exact outcome where everyone's just like, Jesus, dude, calm down. And he's like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do it. It's too awkward. Too awkward to do. But also, I want to point out that there is a little bit of a problem here where once the idea is introduced that Vader, like, they, like he can be redeemed, you, like, you don't have to be a genius to see that that's how the movie's going to end. You know? Yeah. Um, not that it's bad. I mean, it's kind of like a Pixar thing with me. Like, if you go see a Pixar movie, you know from the beginning of that movie how the movie's going to end. <laughs> you basically know what lessons are going to be learned. And but that's not bad because you get an entertaining movie out of it. Yeah, and I mean just um, like uh, if if it, if your story is structured right and you earn that ending that you see coming, then you know at the end of the day the movie did its job. Yeah, and I think for the most uh, part, Return of the Jedi sets itself up well enough to knock down some pretty nice payoffs. Yeah, hey, it's, it works fine. Yeah, uh, and I just want to um, mention too that. When I was younger, and I still freak out about this, the AT-AT, at, at whatever the fuck, oh, yeah. uh, walking in the forest is mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, that brief I, moment. Yeah, I, I like these weird-ass science fiction concepts and 
fantasy. I had that, I had that same reaction as a kid. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. And also so. noticing the ATST on Hoth during rewatch. Oh, in the background. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's really awkwardly shoved in, but whatever. <laughs> um, hey. Yeah, it's uh, cool. It's just cool. It's great. It's all great. It's now all this fucking this um, coming up, I do think is at least like ninety five percent like legitimately great. Maybe maybe my favorite Star Wars stuff like as a whole. I got one thing though. Go for it. What was the Emperor's plan? Just to trap the rebels. Yeah, if but like what's he what's he doing with Luke? He's trying to turn him to the dark side to kill Vader, right? Yeah. But, then but with prior what? to this but then prior to this, this is where my issue comes in with that. Uh, he's trying to kill Luke, right? Like, he mentions yeah. that, um, like, oh, if we turn him to our side, whatever. And then Vader says the same thing in Empire. Mm-hmm. He wants to turn him on the side. I'm like, oh, we'll, together we'll take down the Emperor. Mm-hmm. And so there's this really nice uh, implication that uh, the, the dark side is all about people just trying to get on top of one another, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so that, that's kind of cool. And then, obviously, the light side of the Force is people working together. Um, and, but, yeah, it gets a little hazy in the finale. I just don't know what he's, what he's tempting Luke with. I think it's a little uh, much. Uh, that's the thing. This is the Harry Potter thing again, where there's no, yeah. there's nothing to tempt him. He is just telling him that he's tempting him. Like, come to the dark side. Like, you know that that I mean, fucking is... bullshit meme where like, oh, come to the dark side. We have cookies. That's like really funny. Yeah. If you're like twelve. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that's basically it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not actually giving him anything in return. He's just like, come on. Peer pressure. Yeah, he's just like, like I mean, he, he shows that like anger can be a source of power, but that's like um, after that you, he gets into it. There's nothing like leading up to that. Yeah. Well, he's trying to show that anger is more powerful, but Luke never really wanted power. I don't know. It's just it's always it always sat weird with me. Uh, Luke never wanted um, power, but he did want to protect people. Which, if we're well, gonna keep bringing up the prequel thing, is what led to Anakin's downfall. Yeah, but that's all fucked up. <laughs> no, it's all fucked up. But uh, if we're going to take these movies as a whole from here on out, I mm. think that is worth noting. So if you look at these chronologically, the Emperor's like, oh, I did that here. I could do that over there. You know, you know? what? Him winning over Anakin just, it, it made him overconfident. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Because I bet you when he's like, Anakin, I now need you to destroy... The, all the Jedi, and he was like, "All right." He was like, "Holy shit, that worked!" <laughs> <laughs> like so, he's like, "All right, it's not that hard." <laughs> and then he tells the same thing to Luke, and he's yeah, like, like, "Oh shit, hang on." And Luke's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And he's like, "Oh fuck, I need you to to kill Han Solo, Princess Leia, Chewbacca." He's like, "No, what? The, what? No, Jesus why God. would I do that?" Well, because you know, just. I told you to. I think the dark side would be fitting for Just, you. Just, you know, power. <laughs> Unlimited power. <laughs> and then Luke's just I, like, oh, I'm, I'm good, too. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> he just starts slowly backing out of the room. Like, yeah. Uh, all, all right. right. <laughs> yeah, hey. Yeah, the, other um, thing, the, the other thing that is ridiculous about this movie is that he's constantly saying to Vader, he's like, I knew you weren't going to kill me. But Vader was very much trying to kill him. <laughs> 
Vader was gonna kill him. <laughs> it was just like that 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 this idea that Vader like went easy on him is not true. He cut his fucking hand off. <laughs> it's like don't make me destroy you. If some guy said that to me, I wouldn't say later. <laughs> hey, you! I knew you weren't trying to kill me. <laughs> but whatever. I knew you didn't have it in you, Dad. And then Vader's just flashing back. He's like, "Oh my god, I got so lucky." Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I do love the 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 moments, the fight between Vader and Luke at the end. Oh my god, yeah, um, that it's just pure like emotion. You know, it goes from like angry to like kind of tragic almost, and then. It's like wraps all around so perfectly. Yeah, it's all like, you know, at first it's just, you know, like like wits going back and forth and shit, and then it's more of emotional, and then it turns physical. There's a whole moment where Luke is just hiding in the shadows, and Vader's just like toying with them and like is able to get the thought out that he that Leia is his sister. So that he's like, hey, even if I fail with you, I can still go after your sister. And that's what makes Luke lose it. Mm-hmm. I was knocking it earlier for being like the least visually like, uh, mm-hmm. capable of the series up to that point. <laughs> in, this, in the throne room fight, I think this is where it really like, steps up a notch. I don't know what happens prior to this. But like, uh, when Vader and Luke start fighting and they cla- the lightsabers clash right in front of the Emperor. And he's just like, yeah. like that's a really striking image. And just lets you know that like, okay... Whatever the Emperor was doing, whether or not it makes sense, it doesn't matter because it's working now. And, and it adds this whole new layer of, like, you don't know how this battle should end. Like, this is the battle we've been building towards, and, like, y- you don't know if Luke winning will actually be Luke winning. Which it just adds this really cool layer to it. What the fuck? It's better than, you know, jumping around over lava for ten minutes. Just embarrassing. Although, early versions of the script... This whole sequence would have taken place in the Emperor's Palace, which would have had lava floor. That feels a little busy. Yeah, and I guess it was just, uh, they couldn't afford to make that said. Yeah. Um, and uh, Vader would have thrown the Emperor into lava. I, I think it could have worked, but I, I, I really like... These like this like imagery of like Luke shrouded in like shadow as he's like waiting yeah. out Vader and then you know just before that he's like unleashed. It's kind of like this nice visual indicator of him like you know just literally surrounded by darkness and having like yeah. almost no other option. Uh, that's that's no, good I, shit. As horrible as the execution is, the lava was much more appropriate for the Obi Wan and Anakin fight. For the rest of the stuff surrounding that that fight. Um, I think the space battle is, is amazing. Easily the best space battle of the entire series. I, I would go as far as saying, like, maybe the best space battle, like, in movie history. Is there one that's even, like, that's not in Star Wars that even comes close? I can't think of too many space battles. Well, one, that's also a big problem. But two, yeah. I like the, the, the Reaver scene in uh, Serenity. Oh, um, yeah, that's, that's great. That's a pretty cool scene. But other than that, um, yeah, I can't think of another really good battle. Um, yeah, it kind of just takes the cake. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, um, I wish we cared about more people up there, though. Which I yeah, think that's a problem. Would have been cool, because there's no reason for Lando to be on the ground either. Mm-hmm. So, like, so he can redeem himself in the opening by helping save Han. But then him and Solo, they don't even need to be on the same ship. They could be, like, 
tag teaming stuff, you mm-hmm. know, like separate little areas. Maybe Lando could have his own ship. Yeah, you know, and then oh. they'll be like they're kind of like have like a little Legolas and Gimli thing. Yeah. Like they're a little competitive with one another. Yeah, but counting also, the like, kills. Yeah, like oh yeah, I just took down a Star Destroyer. Like oh, you motherfucker. There was a lot of talk of Lando dying in this film. Uh, some s- suggested he died during the Death Star battle. Um, but then I think the problem was then there, if he died, then there would be no character to anchor that battle. Um, and others suggested that he should have died early in the script so it would have made all our characters feel like they were in danger. Um, but for whatever reason, Lucas didn't go through with that. Same with the t- some talk. There was some talk about Han Solo dying that Lucas also rejected. Um, some people say Lucas did that because he didn't want to get rid of a lucrative toy <laughs> he could keep selling. But I don't even think that he was thinking that cynically. I just think he didn't want to kill the characters. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of okay with that, actually. Actually, no, I am okay with that. I, I don't... Yeah, I'm fine. You don't need... Death is, is a really cheap way to generate drama. Yeah. Um, if you just especially if it's forced, which it would have been in this instance. Yeah, given the movie that we got, there's like no moment where a death would be like fitting. Well, Darth Vader's death. Oh, Darth Vader. Okay, sure. Which well, is a big moment. It's a great um, moment, for sure. But like for the, the protagonist of the movie, there, yeah. Um, yeah, there's nothing. It's a pretty breezy time until the finale, so... My problem with this entire climax is the constant cutting between, you know, Luke, the space battle, and Endor. Um, it really fucks up the momentum of every scene in the movie, in my opinion, of, of this entire climax. I don't think any of it flows very well. Because you can find, like, YouTube videos where people have just edited this, the, the space battle from Return of the Jedi. And if you just watch that, it's great. But then, like, when you watch it in the movie, you're constantly jumping between all this other shit. <laughs> and all, all of which have completely different emotional tones. And, and then it gets even worse when we get to the prequels, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, um, fucking Christ, yeah. Um, it's just weird, because, and, like, there's, really, there's, like, no tension in the Endor stuff. Yeah, I think that's um, the one that really halts it because the space battle one works. Even again, just visually, like as the Vader and Luke fights going on, you have the the space battle in the background, and so you mm-hmm. really feel like the, the scope of things. Like it's it's more than just a battle of like individuals; it's a battle for the galaxy almost and, and the Force. But um, the Endor stuff, because that one, I, I just mentioned how it's all breezy. That one's like it's too breezy. <laughs> it's uh, mm-hmm. it, there, there's no real weight to anything. It's more fun and funny like yeah. i'm not I'm, I'm not gonna lie i i find it pretty entertaining but it doesn't fit as well yeah as with everything else and um, uh Mar- lucas still edited this one right or had it i think she edits i think away? they ha- they did have to bring in another editor at some point okay yeah um but uh yeah it's just I, there's not much you can really do if you have if you have three climaxes happening at once mm-hmm also, it's just weird to me that, like, you know, the, like, the death of the Emperor and Luke, you know, redeeming his father all happen, like, before 
like the you know Lando's even like in the Death Star, I think. And it's just weird to be like we're sudden we're suddenly cutting back to destroying the Death Star. And it's like, well, who cares at this point? Like all the emotional shit has been dealt with. Like we don't need any more. And we're still cutting back to other things. It it's just it, it kind of fucks up the flow of everything. No, it funky, it really the does. Funky flow. Yeah. Um, um I mean like I think a quality blockbuster like this that that obviously has a lot of uh, spectacle but it's all driven by character that stuff needs mm-hmm. to end on the emotional stuff every time plot and like the yeah. stuff is good but it all has to be grounded in character and the important stuff here at least is that the battle with Luke is grounded in character everything else surrounds it but isn't driven by it so yeah it's a little odd that there's this huge moment where you know luke has uh i am a jedi like my father before me you failed your highness all that great stuff i i love that moment that that's probably my favorite yeah. Star Wars moment um it gets me every time and then you know mm-hmm. starts getting electrocuted and shit and then vader redeems himself as much as he can anyways given the time constraint yep. and then um kills the emperor and this is just that that's insane this was pretty much the defining villain of the Star Wars trilogy up to that point, or up to this movie anyways. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great moment. It's powerful and everything. And then they go back to Han Solo and Leia on the ground. And then it's kind of like this goofy slapstick action comedy almost. And then yeah, and back those, to the space battle. <laughs> and, uh, and those characters are left to guard a door. Yep. And also there's like, there's an, awkward as hell love triangle kind of vibe going on when there really isn't one because we we find that like it's just a misunderstanding mm-hmm. and that's re- that's one thing i like genuinely hate is like this whole thing of like hey why can't you tell me what's up with luke and he's like oh fuck like they said they already said they love each other han and leia love each other we don't need to revisit this yeah, that's that's not great. And then uh, he says, I love you. And she says, I know. They repeated the thing! <laughs> well, uh, I, I kind of like that. It's just the problem is that Leia's arc is non-existent. Yes. What little, what little she has to do, unfortunately, revolves around Han Solo. I mean, they revolve yeah. around each other. And they both don't have a lot to do, but she really gets the short end of the stick in this movie. And that yeah, is I mean, not she sh- acceptable. She should be one of the main leaders of the rebellion at yeah. this point. But nope. Mm-hmm. Also, there's that moment where the one Ewok dies and it's really sad. Yeah, what <laughs> talk about total <laughs> inconsistency. It's like it's kind of fun. And then it gets serious and they try to add some stakes. And mm. that moment is very sad. But every mm. time I see it, I can't help but think it feels a little cheap it is because they're, they're so cute um, <laughs> and then they I mean, like... all of their fighting is very slapstick but it's not hard to see that like fucking a lot of ewoks probably died that day yeah like they won the battle because of attrition not because of you know strategy <laughs> yeah. and when that happens you usually end up losing a lot of your guys so they're so that's so fucking small. the Battle of Endor. Yeah, they're so small. Well, no, we got to do one thing real quick. Go for it. Which is Vader's mask coming off. Um, that's like probably like 
the defining moment of the series, really. Star Wars is actually this really weird emotional arc that kids can, like, you know, kind of learn about growing up. Um, like, you know, like let's just say you're, you're watching the first movie, and the big bad guy, you know, he's like this ultimate evil out there, and you, you go up against him, and you beat him, but he gets away. Then when you go to face him again, it turns out the big bad guy you've been after the whole time is your own father. And even though it's Luke's father, when you're a kid, you do think about the idea about your father being evil. And then you get to the end of this, and you take the mask off of the ultimate evil in the galaxy. And there's just a sad old man underneath all of it, who's just sickly and all fucked up, and he's just dying. And he hasn't seen anything with his real eyes in so long. And that's a great way to end that arc. Because you kind of have to have Vader die after he redeems himself because he is kind of like Space Hitler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so, at the very least, uh, Mussolini. Yeah. Uh, so you can't really have him be like, all right, I'm totally good now. It's like, no, you got to go away. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, a lot of properties, I think, try to do that redemption arc for their villains and then they keep them around because the fans are really drawn to them. Don't do that. Yeah. That's sort of advice. Don't do that. Don't don't do that, Loki. <laughs> um, but there's also, I mean, the one, uh, the fear I, I have currently is how they're going to play out Kylo Ren's arc. Um, mm-hmm. Is he going to be redeemed or what? Yeah. And uh, because of the hack who might be driving that, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. So. And th- there are people who have said, well, Anakin Skywalker killed a bunch of kids and blew up a planet and, and whatnot. But um, I, I think it's the, uh, the motivational factor that ends up influencing it a little bit mm-hmm. more for me where I can sort of swallow Vader's redemption because it's not a full-on redemption. He's never going to be, like, forgiven by, by the yeah. galaxy, you know? But um, in the moment where it counts for something personal to him, you know, he saves his son. Mm. And by proxy, what's left of his family with Leia as well. It's more inter- internal redemption for both Luke and Vader. Mm-hmm. And I do like that in recent Expanded Universe books, uh, point out that Leia's, like, cool with Luke being cool with Vader's redemption, but Leia's like, fuck that. <laughs> I didn't know that, so that's There's a cool. couple of really good books, um, and the one she's like, look, that motherfucker tortured me. <laughs> so, I'm not, I don't feel too good about him. Yeah. And I came from a happier family, so that's my family. Mm-hmm. And he took that um, from her. Yes. So, there, it makes total sense for that. Um, which, I'm, I'm cool, that helps with this, helps with uh, the weird dynamic. Uh, but let, let's finish off Jedi. Yub-nub. Yub-nub. Bebop and yub-nub. Oh my god. No why, the f- why the fuck was that cut out of fucking uh, in the special editions? They cut the yub-dub song. Uh, uh, well, because people are really insecure about the cutesier things in Star Wars, I think. I don't get it. I've never had a problem. That's never been my problem. 
Yeah, uh, I, I I don't mind the new one either, the John Williams score. It just yeah, but it's weird that they cut the Yub Dub song and then added possibly the worst thing ever added to the films. Oh, which was the the dance number at Jabba's Palace. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Um, oh, and the song is called Jedi Rocks, which doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. And if you have the special edition, the last spoken word of the original trilogy in the special edition oh, yeah. is a Gungan going Wisa free. Three guesses who? Was it? Did they get Ahmed Best to come back? As uh, I, I actually don't know, but I'm that there's like a hundred percent chance that is regardless. Case, right? It's still it's still technically a reference to Jar Jar. And you just know Lucas put that in there just like as a dig. Yeah, he's like. Petty. I love them sometimes, but like. No. No? You're not going to be getting some Jar Jar love. No, 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 no. I mean, George okay. Lucas. Oh, okay. No, I, I don't hate Jar Jar. I just, I don't. He's unnecessary entirely. We'll get to the Jar Jar of it all. Well, actually, he's the key to all of this. But um, yeah. Okay, Yub Nub. He's a funnier character than we've ever had before. Uh, yeah, um, I like Yubnub. I like the other one minus the Jar Jar shout out, just because I don't like. If Jar Jar was a, a decent character, I'd be like, whatever. But you, it's because he's so petty. He just had to yeah, shove him in there. There's something really petty about it, and also the fact that he added like Vader saying no, which is also very petty because he knows everyone was laughing at the end of Revenge of the Sith when Vader said no. And I actually don't even hate that in Revenge of the Sith, but here it's just so fucking out of place, and it, it ruins the scene. Yeah, oh. it's just awful. Um, so yeah, um, and then you get to see the forest ghosts, and uh, you better fucking pray to God you don't have the special edition because it doesn't make any fucking sense in that version. Because when they show um, Anakin, it's at his most evil version of himself. Yeah. And that's stupid. Why would anyone do that? Why didn't he come back as like a child <laughs> when he was truly innocent? <laughs> if that's um, the case, right? Yeah, but no, it's so dumb. Um, but yeah, that that happens. Yeah, but the original version is nice. It's just him the, looking on. The original version is really now. good. Yeah. And also it implies that only Luke can see that. So it would it would make sense if it was the vision of his father and not this young version he doesn't know. Um, which is also why, because apparently in the future, no one takes pictures of each other, but whatever. Yeah, that's, um, that's something that's always bothered me. Like, even, though they, even though they have security cameras at the Jedi Temple. Uh, th these movies don't make sense, but the good ones are pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and this is, a, and honestly, as much as I've like been making fun of it, I do like Return of the Jedi a lot. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely issues. Oh, and what I was going to bring up earlier is that, you know, it ends with a giant party. See, even see Wedge and Tilly's, and everyone's yeah. there, like, clapping along. Or Lando's the one that's getting into it. Everyone else is kind of just, like, looking onward awkwardly. So Harrison Ford is trying his best to not look like an asshole. <laughs> um, and the little Ewok that, that rescued Leia is there with them. And the biggest problem I have with The Force Awakens is that they didn't bring back Lando Calrissian and the little Ewok because I like the idea of every movie them adding another member to their little space family. Yeah, I'd be cool with that Ewok kind of hanging around. Yeah, right? He doesn't have to do anything. He just oh. has to, like, 
chill but, with Leia. Like they're just buddies. I think now. because I think because Ewoks are such a controversial element. Like no one's even thinking about it. It's just me. But uh, as we, as you might know, uh, there is a casino in uh, the the Last Jedi. Um, so we might be running into a, a Lando Calrissian there. Um, Fingers crossed. There's a lot of talk about him him being a card player and a gambler. Um, but I mean, I the last time I saw Billy D. Williams, he could like barely walk. So. Aww. He he might just be like too fucking old, but um, he should. I would like to see him again, in a way that doesn't feel forced. Yeah, I think would be a key element of it. Um, well, that's that's Return of the Jedi. Yep, you fuckers. It's pretty good. So that's basically the end of the good times for a little bit. <laughs> but we now now we have a. Uh, how long is the gap? Between uh, Return and Phantom Menace. Return of the Jedi is 83, right? Yeah, 83, and then I believe Phantom Menace was 98. Oh no, it was, 90, it was 99, it was 99 so 99. 60, 16 years. So what happened with Star Wars in that time? Oh, man, if only we did an episode talking about that very idea. Hey, Dago, I got an idea. Oh, yeah? What is it? Let's do that very thing you just said. Oh, okay, cool. Let's do that next time. Next time, we're not even talking about movie. We're talking about other shit that happened with Star Wars. Because there's still a lot going on. And I want to avoid rewatching The Phantom Menace for as long as possible. Matt, where can the people find you? I am at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. That's it. And I'm... At D E Double G O Waffles, President Diego on Twitter. You can just find everything there. There's a lot, so just just go there. Yeah, that that's it. That's the original Star Wars trilogy. These are good movies. Yep, that's my hot take. There's, yeah, if you haven't seen them, why the fuck are you listening to this? That that would be that'd be odd. Well, you know, what? actually, yes. a friend of mine told me that they hadn't seen the Alien movies and they were kind enough to listen to the Alien retrospectives, and I was like, thank you, but why did you do that? Yeah, why would you do that? If you're listen- friend of Diego, if you're listening to this, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> What's wrong with you? And I offered to let them borrow the Alien movies because I have all of them. But they- your buddy has them. <laughs> Talk to your buddy. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe. If you didn't like, like, subscribe anyways because you might find something to do like. Thanks again. We have been professionally unprofessional. Quest continues. The circle closes. The saga lives on. Return of the Jedi begins May 25th at a theater in your galaxy.